to our seventh plague, and I've said before, and I know I shouldn't be, I get excited about the plagues. And uh, they're getting a little tougher, they're getting a little rougher, and we probably shouldn't be excited about them. But I tell you, there's some amazing, neat stuff in here that the Lord is doing. If we have time tonight, and I hope we do, I would like to finish up chapter 9, do chapter 10. So I want to do the plague of hail, the plague of locust, and then also the plague of darkness, which will set us up really nice next week to talk about Passover and the death of the firstborn. Now, just some quick reminders here of what we're doing and the purpose of this. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Remember the purpose of the plagues. The purpose of the plagues is not God being the mean, angry God that lives upstairs. The purpose of the plagues is to get to the heart. That's what we just read there. God is trying to get to the heart of the Egyptians and say, what you're doing is not right. This is not good. Remember the references that we've shared many times before. Jump back a couple chapters to Exodus 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Jump ahead real quick to Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. God does not share the stage with anybody. And so what he is doing here is he's showing his power to the Egyptian people. He is defeating their so-called gods with a little g. But the key is, as we just read right here, he's trying to get their heart. We're going to talk about that tonight. And remember, this is talked about for centuries later. Centuries later. In 1 Samuel, the Philistines are saying, we're not going to mess with Israel because we know Israel. They're the ones that the plagues came from Egypt. When Rahab the prostitute in the book of Joshua, she's the one that says, we know what your God did to Egypt. The problem is, as time went on and generations passed, people forgot or people chose to forget. So the purpose of this is God trying to get to their heart. Remember that. So let's see what happens here. The first plague tonight, the plague of hail. Verse 15. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you have been cut off from the earth. But indeed for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name shall be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against me against my people, and that you will not let them go. So God is trying to say here once again, I am doing this to get your attention. I am doing this to show who I am. I am God. Verse 15 is quite honest. I could have killed you all with pestilence by now. That's not his goal. That's not his point. His point is to show power. His point is to show I am God. And it's not the point of he's a prideful God that feels like his uh, manhood has been tested. He wants to make sure he knows, they know, I should say, that he is God and nothing else. My oldest son, Elias, just turned 10. And he is starting to reach that point of a young man where he feels like that he can take on the world, right? So every now and then he wants to fight. So we fight. Now, when he was a few years younger, I let him win. Now he thinks he can win. So what I basically do when I fight is I just lay on top of him and he can't move, you know? I win. (laughs) I show him my power. I don't hurt him, but I'm going to make sure he remembers, he knows that I'm still stronger. Because it's one of those just fun things. You see it in his eyes. He thinks he can get me. I mean, he firmly believes in confidence that he's going to be able to defeat me. Oh, it's not even close. 
I know you don't care, but I'm just going to tell you anyway. See, I got this friend that I call Mr. Pinchy. And I just do this, and Elias starts freaking out because he knows the power that dad has. My point is this. God is not trying to hurt them. God is trying to say here, remember who I am. We did a lesson, oh, it's probably been about a month ago, where God kept repeating this phrase, I am the Lord. To remind them, I am the Lord. So what is he going to do? Verse 18, behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. Did you catch that in verse 20? Some of the Egyptians are starting to respond. Some of the Egyptians are starting to see the power of Jehovah, the power of God, and they're starting to actually respond to what the Lord is doing. Now, this just to prove my point here, if God really was just trying to be angry and mean, he would not, in verse 18, give them a day's warning. That's actually grace, verse 18. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. Do you realize how often God gives us grace and we just ignore it? I mean, he told us in Galatians, be careful for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So therefore, when we sow into our life flesh and lust and laziness in our walk with the Lord, and then months later we look at our walk with Christ, we look at our walk with our relationships with others and marriages and life, and we wonder why it's fruitless, God said, listen, I warned you 2,000 years ago. The Lord makes it clear. So behold, tomorrow I'm going to do this. It's also amazing because you hear these passages where people bring up to kind of make God look bad. And it was a couple weeks ago we did this. We put some verses up on the screen to just remind us all out of Ezekiel where God says, I have no joy in the death of the wicked. He's once them. I, I think it would have given God great joy if every Egyptian would have said, I'm bringing all my servants and cattle in because I fear the Lord. One of the most famous passages used to present God as an awful God. It's found in 1 Samuel 15. And that's where God ordered Saul to go to the Amicalites. And, I said, and he said to him, I order you to kill every man, woman, and child. 1 Samuel 15. Now think about that. That's your loving Savior that just died on the cross for your sins. And he describes himself in 1 John 4 as God is love. But he said in 1 Samuel 15, I want you to go kill every man, woman, and child. Now, how do we balance that? Well, you've got to read the whole chapter. Because you know what happens in 1 Samuel 15? Saul goes and stands before them. And there's two groups of people living together, the Canaanites and the Amicalites. Saul goes and stands before them and says, hey, Canaanites, we're going to come kill all the Amicalites. So Canaanites, leave. You know what that shows me? That shows me that the Lord, I firmly believe... If there was an Amicalite that wanted to repent, they would have free passage out as well. That's grace. As we read the book of Revelation and we read about a quarter of the world's population dying, we also tend to forget that there's 144,000 Jews witnessing. There's the two witnesses. There's angels flying up around in heaven. This is a God of love, grace, and mercy that's actually trying to warn them before judgment comes. So what he does here in verses 18, 19, and 20 Tomorrow it's going to happen. And if you fear the Lord, verse 20, you get your servants and your livestock out of there. Verse 21, but he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail on all the land of Egypt, on man 
on beast, on every herb of the field and throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Did anybody catch Ten Commandments on Sunday? You heathens. So I was watching the Ten Commandments on Sunday, and I happened to flip to this, this plague. And it was just fascinating. If you go back and watch the special effects from 1956, you know, these little hail things are falling, and then it kind of just catches on fire. When you really study out what happened here, and you look at the original Hebrew, and, I, and let me jump ahead just a little bit. Look at verses 27 and 28. Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. And treat the Lord that there be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. There's two words I need to tell you about in the Hebrew. The first one is that fire mingled with hail. Some of your translations say lightning. I don't really think that's a good translation because there's an actual different Hebrew word for lightning in the Bible. This word for fire is the same word for fire used in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This was a fire that came down. And when it says mighty thunderings there in verse 28, that word literally is Elohim. What he's literally saying is that there may be no more voice of God. That's how loud that thundering was. Now, there's a little storm that came through. I can't remember if it was last night or two nights ago. You know, it was like 5, 6 in the morning, and you hear the distant thunder. And there's been times in our lives, you know, where there's been a thunder that actually rattles the house. Okay? This, I want to hear this thunder. Think of how many times in the Bible it talks about the voice of God being like thunder. Pharaoh is literally calling this thunder Elohim, the voice of God. That is a loud thunder. So this, this plague is the thunder so loud, it's the voice of God. And this fire mixed with hail coming down, it's the same word for fire used in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a scary thing to be involved with. This would be a scary thing to see. And you know what? Here are these Egyptians leaving their livestock out there, leaving their servants out there. And what a destruction that came upon them. Let's stop real quick before we move on here. Any questions, comments about anything? Ryan. Um, the ancient Egyptians and the Roman I would probably go with point number one rather than point number two. Like you said, if you look at the way a lot of ancient civilizations did their history, if there was something that portrayed them negatively, they just didn't record it. And if you were an Egyptian at this time, you don't want to relive this, you don't want to record this. Obviously, we know from other sources, like I said, the book of Joshua, First Samuel, the book of Psalms, the plagues are mentioned numerous times, and it's that idea that other nations knew about this. But yeah, you're right, Egypt 
I don't think Egypt would want this stuff to be recorded in any way, and I don't think that's something they would probably do. That's just my personal opinion. I'd go with one rather than two on that. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Now, we have to look at what Pharaoh says. Verse 27, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thunderings and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Well, that sounds real, right? See, but look at the wording. Verse 27, I have sinned this time. Nothing about the past, nothing about okay. I, I, I sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, okay. My people and I are wicked. Please stop. Verse 29, so Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunderer will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Moses says, come on, I know. You know, this is what we call the foxhole faith. This is what we call the jail faith. We know. I remember when I was first getting into ministry, First getting into ministry, I went over to CCNO to visit somebody, and he was kind of a fringe person out here at church. And rough, tough guy would come to church, but just nothing. I mean, just rough, tough guy. So he gets in trouble. I go over to CCNO to visit him, and I'm sitting across the table. This guy is just bawling, just sobbing. You know, I found the Lord. I want everything to be different. Amen. I'm young. I'm excited. He gets out, and I have not seen him in 15 years. Jailhouse faith. Foxhole faith. In the midst of the storm, we are willing to make deals with God. We promise anything. I'll be a better man. I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better spouse. I'll be a better wife. Just don't do this anymore or whatever. You know, we we do this. It goes back to our first point. Our first point. Go back to verse 14. My plagues to your very heart. Very heart. God is not looking for a surface relationship with Pharaoh. God is looking for Pharaoh's heart. And before you start thinking, well, that never happens, it does. Nebuchadnezzar. I firmly believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. The man that led Babylon, I firmly believe, came to know the Lord. God loves everybody. Remember what we said a few weeks ago. God says he has no joy in the death of the wicked. None. Verse 31, now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud. But the, well, excuse me, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. Now you may think, what's the point of those verses? That's a little bit of grace again. God didn't take out their entire food supply. Verse 34, and when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants, so the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Have you ever run into somebody who has a hard heart? Boy, it's a difficult thing. They think they're right. I mean, they, they have so convinced themselves, they think they're right. God is trying to move in their life. God is trying to change things. And they just don't see it. New King James has this wonderful term in the book of Proverbs called a scoffer. And if you go read about a scoffer in the book of Proverbs, they're too smart for their own good. They, they already know what they need to do. They already know everything they're supposed to be doing, but they don't do it. They don't need to listen to counsel and wisdom advice because they already know what's best, even though their life is a mess. And people try to come lovingly correct them, and they just reject the correction because they don't need it. Pharaoh. At the next plague that we get to, Pharaoh's own wise men are coming to him and says, say, do you not understand that our country is ruined? Pharaoh was so blinded by everything falling apart around him. 
it's very sad. Verse 1 of chapter 10, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart in the hearts of his servants, that I might show these signs of mine before him. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things that I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. See, now we get another picture of why is the Lord doing this? Because this is supposed to be a generational thing that they would be passed on from generation to generation. You see the Lord doing this a lot in the Old Testament. We're going to get to the Passover in just a couple weeks. And one of the purposes of the Passover is that when the kids came to them and said, Why are we doing this, Dad? Hey, it's a teaching moment. This is why we're doing it, because of the Lord bringing us out of Egypt. Or in the book of Joshua, it mentions the memorial stones. And what happened is when they would cross the river, they brought a stone with them and created an altar to be a memorial to what the Lord has done. I think this is something that's really important, especially parents out there. Record what God has done in your life so that way he gets the glory and your kids see how you make decisions. We had four big things that we were praying over last fall. So Dawn and I went to the boys and we said, here are the four things that we're going to pray about. And we just started praying over them every time we sat down for the meal. And as the Lord answered each one of those prayers, some of it took a few months, the boys saw God moving and working. I can't remember, was it the Wednesday night or the Sunday that I tell you guys about uh, Kenan losing his glasses? Did I tell you guys about that? And we said that every day we were going to pray that we could find Kenan's glasses. You remember what I told you? Guess what? We never found them. Well, now we found them. They were outside. Don't ask me how or why. They survived the snow and everything, and now he, he has them. The boys... That's like a movement of God. We prayed, he answered. We actually have a notebook at home that we call the Memorial Stone Book. And once a month we sit down and we just say, what do you want to write down to remember what God has done for you this month? And I love going back and looking back six months ago or whatever. And it's like, wow, remember what the Lord did. This is something the Lord wants us to do. Verses 1 and 2, he's saying, I am doing these things so your kids, kids have a witness, a generation of what I've done and what I'm doing. So let's go to the next plague. Plague of locusts. Verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourselves before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Verse 3. I just want to focus on one word there. Humble. The key to walking with Christ is to be humble. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Give me wisdom. Lord, I don't understand this passage. Give me wisdom. Lord, I screwed up. I shouldn't have said that to them. Humble me, Lord, to go tell them I'm sorry. Lord, humble me to say that I need help in this area. Pharaoh is battling pride. Pride is what led Satan to his fall. Pride is what is leading Pharaoh to his fall. Pride is what destroys relationships and and everything that we have right now. Let's be humble about this. Verse 4, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow, please note once again, a day's warning. Tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. They shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Now we talk about the plague of frogs. Remember that? Everywhere you stepped, you stepped on a frog. Your cupboards are full of frog. Your pillows have frogs on it. I don't know what would be more bothersome. The, the crackling of a frog's bone or a locust being stepped on. Covered in locusts. I mean, these are nasty, little, awful creatures. Just completely 
covered. Look at what happens, verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not know that Egypt is destroyed? The wise men are finally seeing this. So Pharaoh finally relents, verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to him, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil's ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you and who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Now, we've made this point before, and I just want to jump ahead a little bit. Jump ahead to the plague of darkness real quick. Uh, Verse 24. Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, for not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. You see, you see Pharaoh kind of doing this. The first response was, hey, you men, you just go out. And then it was, you know, do this and do that. And there's this constant compromise. And this is a point that we made a few weeks ago, and some of you may have heard this, but it bears repeating. And I just kind of want to remind you of this. Pharaoh's first response was, fine, you want to offer sacrifices, you go offer sacrifices, but do it right here. Moses' response was, if we offer sacrifices right here in Egypt, he goes, you you Egyptians are going to stone us. Because we're going to offer sacrifices to our God in front of your God? No, we're not going to do that. Remember the second idea was Pharaoh said, you guys can go, but just don't go really far. Just just stay really close. Moses' response was, we're going to go where God tells us to go. That one didn't work out. The next one was, the men go, but leave the women and children. Moses said, nope, I'm taking the whole family. And now we have this idea here of leave the little ones and leave the livestock. And you remember the points that we made about this. This is God showing us what it's like in the world. The first one is, sacrifice here. Be a Christian, but be of the world. Walk like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world. Listen to the same stuff that the world listens to. Watch the same programs the world watches. So that way we don't see a difference. That way you're not making the world feel weird. You don't feel weirded out. And just have this mix of Christianity and the world. Can't do that. We have to leave Egypt. Remember, Egypt represents the world. So the next step is leave Egypt, but don't go far. These are the people that say, fine, Christianity is good for you. But don't take it too far. Don't become one of those crazy Christians. I mean, if you've got to put a bumper sticker on, put a bumper sticker on. I mean, that's cool. I mean, if you've got to wear a shirt, wear a shirt that just is kind of easy going. Don't take it too far. No, we're, we're supposed to take it far. The next one, leave the women, leave the children. What is that saying? Hey, Christianity is okay for you, but how dare you start bringing other people into it? You know, I've, I've read articles where they talk about as Christians that we're brainwashing our children. And I just find that absolutely fascinating that that's the way the world looks at it, is that when we try to instill Christianity, God-like principles into kids, we're brainwashing them. That's why Pharaoh said, leave the children. What about this last one? Don't take your livestock. This one almost sounds selfish, right? No, we're taking our possessions. You can't have them. you got to remember what the livestock represented. The livestock represented their livelihood, their work. I've heard people say this before. That they're a certain type of person on Sunday morning, but Monday through Friday at work, they're a different type of personality. 
they leave their livestock. They separate their livestock from their faith. They separate their work from their faith. I had somebody tell me one time years ago, you don't know the place where I work at. You don't know what it's like. If I don't talk like they talk, if I don't do what they do, I'm going to get stepped on. I thought, come on. The God of the universe is with you. You can't take a stand here. How often does the world want us to have these dual lives? You're one person at work, but you're completely different at home. Boy, the best way to be a sold-out believer by G- for Jesus is you're just the same wherever you go. There's no fake. There's no mask. We put on Jesus. Moses said, sorry, we can't leave the livestock. We need to have both. So let's see what happens here real quick. Verse 13, Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over the land of Egypt, rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall be there such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on all the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong east wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the land of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the children of Israel go. Why did Moses do this? Why did he, you know, not even put up a fight? You know, I don't put up a fight on certain things anymore. I'll run into somebody that I hasn't been in church for literally a year or two. Hey, pastor, I tell you this all the time. Pastor, I'll, you'll see me Sunday. In my flesh, I'm like, no, I won't. But I always say, hey, hope to see you. That'd be great. That'd be great. Pharaoh, oh, Moses, I sinned. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Have the Lord forgive me. Moses is like, sure. You know, he knows the heart's not right. And it's kind of interesting. I think the miracle of them disappearing is almost as amazing as the miracle of them appearing. Not a single locust was left. That's amazing. So that sets us up for this last plague. But before we go in there, anybody got any quick questions, comments here about anything that we've covered thus far with the plague of hail and fire and then the plague of locusts? Marv. a good way to look at it. You said the word renew, and it reminded me of that passage in the Bible where the Bible comes out and says we're supposed to renew our minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about this. For anybody that got saved later in life, think about everything you brought in into your walk with Christ. All the words that you should never have heard, all the images that you should never have seen, all the actions that you should never have done. All that baggage comes into your walk with Christ. And so all of a sudden now my words are supposed to be pure. My thoughts are supposed to be pure. My actions are supposed to be pure. Where I lived for years with no filter. No filter. And all of a sudden now I'm supposed to have a filter? That's why we need to be renewed. And that's a good word I like that Marv used there, renewed. Or even better, what Jesus said in John 3, be born again. It's like we have to start life all over again. I just wonder how often do we screw up the present because we're still living like we were in the past. 
We're renewed. We're a new creation, born again. And we take those thoughts captive, and, and, and we can't live the same. We can't act the same. Not because that saves us, but because we have been changed in Christ, and we're renewed. Oh, that's a great word there, renewed. I like that. Anybody else got anything here before we move on? Ryan. I love your questions, Ryan. I think I tell you that all the time. I don't know. I have never been bit, bit. My understanding is what we have around here are not considered locusts per se. We still call them locusts. I don't know. Has anybody ever been bitten by a locust? Yes. It's more like a grasshopper. I've been st- uh, stuck by a grasshopper, but no, I don't think it's something that they go after humans. You know, I always think, and I tell you this, Ryan, all the time, and I, and I hope you guys know the relationship that Ryan and I have. I love Ryan. Ryan and I spend a lot of time together. And I always think, as I'm preparing a lesson, I honestly think, what is Ryan going to ask me? I think that, and I try to think like Ryan thinks. I never once thought, has any been bit by locusts? See, you took me a place I've never been before, Ryan. So, Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Hey, let's just try to finish this up real quick. This one's pretty quick. Please note with the plague of darkness, there is no warning. And I believe there's no warning because this is symbolic. After this plague, it's the death of the firstborn. And I guess what I just want to say is this. With these other plagues that we've been talking about, this idea of giving them a warning. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. This one comes out of nowhere. And please do note, that's what happens spiritually. God warns us and warns us and warns us. And then it just goes dark. Because why? We have so rejected God's warnings and grace and His loving call to repentance that eventually the bottom just falls out in our life. And we're like, Lord, what happened? And God's like, what happened? I've been telling you for months that you're spiritually not right. I've been telling you for months that you're going down a path. You rejected my call of conviction. You rejected the Holy Spirit working in your life. You're in darkness now. Verse 21, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. There was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. A darkness that could be felt. I started thinking about what's the darkest place I've ever been in my life. And I remember on a grade school field trip, we went into the cave. I think it was Ohio Caverns. And in the middle of the cave, they shut the light off. And that was dark. I mean, that was dark. But it wasn't a darkness that could be felt. You know, I thought about this, and I had this brief moment of, Lord, I want to feel that. And I thought, no, I don't. I don't. I, I don't want to be so encased in that. And, and, and I'm not trying to make a joke as I, as I say this, but I just think about my kids. And I'm just imagining a darkness coming over my house. And my kids just crying. My kids just wondering where you're at. Or what happens if mom's home with the kids, dad's out in the field? He can't get back? You're going to grope? I mean, this, actually, this word there for a darkness that can be felt literally means groped. And then, here's the scary part. You don't know when it's ending. You don't know where it's ending. I mean, it's just, it, it, it really is a symbolic picture of just the lights going out spiritually in Egypt. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the three hours of darkness of Christ on the cross. This is what sin does. And if you've ever seen somebody who's just kind of gone to this carnal, backslidden Christian state, when you talk to them, when you look at them, it's almost like there's a darkness over them. They just aren't there with the Lord anymore. 
So, verse 22, Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. I mean, you, you couldn't. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. We read verses 24, 25, there in 26 and 27. Jump ahead to verse 28. Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Which sets us up then for the death of the firstborn. This darkness, like I said, is a symbolic picture of what's going on. Real quick, we've been doing this over the last few weeks. I just want to throw out some of these terms there. Some of you like this, note takers. Uh, Ra, the sun god, obviously. Ra is the most powerful god in Egypt next to Pharaoh. So for the ninth plague... For the sun to be blotted out, that'd be huge to the Egyptians. For the 10th plague, Pharaoh's own son dying, oh boy. And God in his grace has been trying to warn them. He's been trying to warn them. I guess what I want to finish with this is before I get ready to go to prayer. I don't know where, where you're at, and I don't know how everything's going with you spiritually, but I just want to share this with you. Just, just look at this. The hail, the locusts. God says, tomorrow I'm bringing this. He's trying to warn them. Is there something going on in your life right now where the Lord is saying, hey, I'm trying to give you a heads up. You're you're going for a spiritual crash here. Things are going downhill. Do you not see it? Do you not understand it? Because what happens then is you get to the plague of darkness, and it's too late. And the Bible speaks of the spiritual darkness that sometimes we can get in. And just make sure you're not being Pharaoh. You're not hardening your heart over what's going on in your life. And make sure you're not being like Pharaoh where you just have words. I'm sorry, forgive me. Yeah, but your heart's not there. Remember, it goes back to that first verse we read. God wanted their hearts. That's what he wanted. He was doing this to get their heart. And eventually the lights go out spiritually. And what a sad place that is to be. I tell you, today's a great day to stop and say, Lord, I feel the darkness coming. I don't want this anymore. I'm here, I'm listening, lead me, guide me, direct me. That's what we want. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here? Yeah, it is. And, and I think we may have even said back to the first plague that we did, if you get a chance, you want a deeper study, compare the bowl judgments, the trumpet judgments, the seal judgments. There is a lot of similarities, a lot of similarities here between the plagues on Egypt and the plagues that are going to come upon the world at the end. It's a good study if you want to go a little bit deeper. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right. What we're going to do is we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we will meet up here for a prayer. If anybody has anything they want to pray about, come on up. We'll lay hands on you. We'll pray. If you have anybody that you'd like to pray for, we will. If you've got to get going, good evening. I hope you have a good night. And you remember, I need to announce this. Don't forget, 8 o'clock, you have to pick up your children. You have to. So, the Spirit leads until 8. At 8, the Spirit quits leading, and then you have to go get your kids. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, good to be here tonight, and I just pray that... I pray that as you speak to us about what's coming tomorrow, help us to respond. Lord, as we see the spiritual darkness coming in, help us to respond. Lord, not just in words, but in our heart. Our heart for you and all that we say and do. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. 
We do love you, Lord, and we lift this up in your name. Amen. Feel free to come up for prayer if you've got to get going. Have a good evening, and God bless.